Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. One's in the Old Testament, Nehemiah chapter 2, and the other's in the New Testament, Mark chapter 4. By the way, I'm going con- to begin to encourage you to bring your Bibles. I know that's kind of an old, you know, antiquated idea that everybody loves smartphones and tablets or why bring a Bible when all the scriptures are on the screen. Well, listen to me. It's important that we are understanding how to, to use our own Bible, writing little notes and, and listening to the Lord because God wants to speak to you there. So begin to bring your Bibles, bring something to write with. This is really, really important. Uh, but for this morning, Nehemiah chapter 2, Mark chapter, Mark chapter 4. Let me quickly acknowledge the Thanksgiving holiday. I know some of you have had a lot of company. Maybe you're a little too full of uh, holiday desserts and turkeys. And so I'm not going to expect you to be highly animated this morning. But I'm appreciative of you being here. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would give you brightness of mind because this is a really important and a really powerful message. And for those of you that are online, that you were traveling, I'm, I'm so glad you're here this morning and thank you for tuning in. Listen up because God has something he wants, wants to speak to us. We're three weeks into this great series called A Great Work. And Pastor Brandon's brought the first two messages. It's about how building and bringing people into God's kingdom is hands down the greatest and most important work that God has called us to do as individuals and as a collective gathering of, uh, of the family of God. And even though the culture tends to frown on it, tends to make fun of it, kind of dilute it and downplay its significance, the, the New Testament is really clear that the local church the spiritual family that God's put you in is quite literally the hub of the kingdom of God on earth. This is where Jesus identifies and he says, that's my body, that's my bride, that's where my presence begins to grow and mature and resonate before it spreads out and goes and brings the kingdom message to everybody. It is hands down the construction project that Jesus identified and said, until I come back, that's the number one thing that I'm going to be working on. And so to help us to see this in a relevant way, Uh, Pastor Brandon, for two messages now, has been walking us through the book of Nehemiah, kind of skipping a stone and showing us how, just like that Nehemiah was rebuilding the the, the walls of Jerusalem in order to reestablish God's people in a place that that the, the rest of the world could see what it looked like for the covenant people of God, in the same way, that's how, that's how the Lord's moving in the church today. In fact, he brought out some really interesting things that will help us in our Bible study. He brought out how the book of Nehemiah and the one right before that in the Old Testament, Ezra, actually in the Hebrew Bible are considered one volume because together they cover about 110 years where Israel's freed from captivity, where they rebuild first the walls, and then they begin rebuilding inside of the city, and finally the temple, where they reestablish the importance of God's word as the center of their life, and God's work as the center of their activity, and as they begin to re-engage the assignment that God had given them to be God's people all over the earth. And this is true for us too. We can translate it easily in the New Testament, Because uh, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 that you and I, the moment we get born again, we become living stones. 
And the Holy Spirit gathers us together in a local gathering and, and, and together we're being built up so we can be a spiritual house where people can come and find rest, refuge. Ephesians chapter four says, well, we're so closely in it that we're like, we're like a body. And when you think about your body parts and how all of them are important and all of them are relevant and all of them have different functions, but they all come together and cooperate in perfect unison and in perfect harmony so that we can function not only intentionally, but intelligently. With, with, with great finesse in detailed things. And all of that's important in the body of Christ. He also, in the New Testament, calls us an army of God. That we're the ones collectively who are confronting darkness. Sometimes out in public. Many times in our prayer. Many times saying, nope. Like Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom will come. And thy will will be done right here on earth, right in this situation, just like you've ordained it to be in heaven. This is part of our assignment. And then, of course, we're, we're a house of prayer. We're a refuge for people that are hurting, for people that are lost, for people that are confused, for people that need to be built back up and encouraged. All of those things are, are, are reflective in the local church and why we're, we're, we're the most important thing that is happening on the earth that God is right in the middle of because we become the hub of all this. Well, in, chat, in, in week number one, Pastor Brandon taught about the fact that we've got to get a burden. Let me say it this way. We've got to reignite a burden or a passion. We've got to remind ourselves because the world's doing everything it can to dilute that. Everything it can to talk to us about how, well, church is an important thing as a Christian, but, but it's not something you consider as a priority. I mean, Sunday is a wonderful thing, but you know, come on, Sunday is like our only day off that we can really, and so, and we forget about things like the fourth commandment that says, remember the Sabbath and do everything you can, keep it holy, keep it separate. This is important to the Lord. And so that's not a mandate, that, that's not me, you know, preaching a harsh gospel, that's bringing back to the truth and the relevance of God's word. And we've got to open up our heart to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I, I don't have that passion like, 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 like I should. I, I, don't, I don't burn like that anymore. And so Holy Spirit, help me, put this in my heart. And as we do that, the Bible said he will. Romans chapter 12, verse two says he renews our mind and transforms our life, our priorities, our appetites, things begin to change and get in line with the things of God. Doesn't mean we can't have fun, but it means we're having them according to God's values and God's priority. Week number two, Brandon, uh, Pastor Brandon preached and said, we have to make a move. James chapter one says, you can't just hear the word and say, you know what, that's true, that's true, and then not do anything. If you do that, you live in a self-deception, thinking that because you know something, then somehow you get credit or you get blessed for knowing it. No, knowing it just, just puts you in a position where you can then lean in and begin taking steps to weave it into your life. And so the second, is, second thing is we have to make a move. And by the way, every believer has already been pre-qualified. Every believer already has an assignment Every believer is part of this thing. You've been gifted and you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. The only thing that God doesn't do for you is make the decision for you to step in. That's all on you. And you have to begin to make that. So today we're going to talk about the third element and it's stand your ground. And this is what does it look like to be engaging the kingdom of God, working for the Lord, finding your values, beginning to put those in their proper place, but doing it in the middle of spiritual warfare. 
Because sometimes we get this idea that if, if we'll just begin to serve the Lord a little better, that all of a sudden the clouds will part, the sun will shine, the birds are dressing us in the morning, and, and you know, we're walking two inches off the ground because God is just with us. And we find out quickly as we step in, that's not always the experience. We have a real enemy who's going to challenge us every single time, but we also have this promise of God who's waiting to demonstrate that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And so we're going to look at Nehemiah today. We're going to skip a rock. We'll go pretty quick. We're going to let a lot of scripture do talking for us, but we're going to talk about how as God's people began to engage God's work, the enemy immediately began to challenge them and was relentless in their challenge throughout the book of Nehemiah. Let me start in Nehemiah chapter two, and I'm going to jump into the back half of verse 16 for time's sake. If you go to the top and you read, Nehemiah has arrived in Jerusalem. He didn't tell anybody he was there. He kind of covertly at nighttime would sneak out and he was surveying the city to say, let me see what's really going on. Let me, let me see what, what the need is. What do we really have to work on? And he didn't say anything to anybody until we get to the last half of verse 16. Let me start. He said, I had not yet told the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or the others who did the work. And then I said to them, you see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lies waste and the gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of God, which had been good to me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. That's, you'll see that in verses one through eight. So they said, let us rise and build. By the way, they heard from the Lord and they got a burden. They renewed their passion. They said, okay, yeah, we, well, we can sense that's from the Lord. Let's do this. Notice. And then they set their hands to this good work. They made a move. They didn't just say, that's a great idea. We'll pray about it. And then not. But they actually jumped in and said, let's, let's get this done. And I want you to look at the very next verse. It says, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Amorite, uh, the, the Ammon, Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of, of it, they laughed at us and, and, were dis, and, uh, and despised us and said, what is this thing you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? Now, they hadn't heard that the king had sanctioned this. They didn't have all the backstory, but when they noticed something was going on, they came immediately to begin to downplay it. The word despise means they mocked it, they ridiculed it, they belittled it, like, what are you guys doing? This is crazy. But let me back you up real quick about these three guys because you're gonna hear them in the rest of the story. It's Sanballat the Horonite, and he was the governor of Samaria. This is gonna be important in a minute. That's north of Jerusalem. So he's in the northern part of Jerusalem, not part of Jerusalem, but he's the next region over, and he's in the north. And the next one is Tobiah the Amnonite. He's an official. He is Sanballat's assistant. And so he's like that, you know, like, like that sidekick. And whenever Sanballat says something, he'll be like, yeah, yeah, that's what I think too. And so he's kind of sitting there next to him. But then there's the last one, Geshem the Arab. And Geshem the Arab is from the southern, uh, on the southern side of Jerusalem, and he's from uh, the governor over Arabia, and uh, scholars are pretty clear he's a pagan. He doesn't believe in, in the God of the covenant at all, and he's a pagan. So they all come together because they all recognize something's going on with them, and so they begin to downplay it. 
And look, look what happened. So it says, uh, so I answered them, Nehemiah answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no heritage or no right or no memorial in Jerusalem. The message translation says, you should just stick to your own business because you don't get any say-so in this. Jerusalem is none of your business. Now, let me bring you back to those three characters because this is really important, especially when you see his response. Uh, this is really important when we begin to understand that, that they're going to be the, in the rest of the book. So Sanballat, again, is from Samaria. He's from the northern, on the northern side of Jerusalem, and his assistant uh, is, is right with him. And so you've got two people there. The important thing that that, the reason that's important, because the Samaritans were people that were casually connected with the covenant of God. They weren't completely devoted and in. They, they hadn't converted to Judaism, but they were warm to the idea. They understood, you know, that, 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 that God was real. And so I'm going to put these in the New Testament as people that are casual Christians. Not saying they don't come to church. I'm just saying when we preach about these kind of things, about leaning in and beginning to consider the grace of giving and beginning to, to consider serving and, and getting a burden and making a move, and that they listen and they think, yeah, boy, I, I can see those are good, those are good, but, but they're not really going to do anything about it because they don't have that kind of a commitment. Church to them is one part of a myriad of things that helps their life to feel full and feel satisfied, and the Samaritans were like that. And I want you to notice that they're from the north, and that's really important because that is just slightly, uh, that, that's, that's always up, which means when you encounter these people, they always seem to talk down. Like, yeah, I, I get that you're a Christian, I get that you're doing all that God stuff, but you just need to understand, you know, when, when, when you're trying to be successful and you're trying to move things forward, and they always have a little more of what they think is the in knowledge, more of the, of the kind of the world's point of view, they've woven psychology and psychiatry and, and the culture into this, and so you, part of the reason you'll know is because they're going to challenge the basic fundamentals, but they'll always talk down to you. Like they're just a little bit more elite. They're a little smarter than you and you're a half a step behind because you're one of those devoted Christians like whatever, you do your thing. But that's really important that we see and we're we'll see why it's important in a moment. The second one, again, is this character that is, is from Arabia and he's a pagan. And so he's not gonna have any spiritual context at all. He's always going to be coming from the world's point of view, maybe not antagonistically, maybe not as, as an adversary, but, but his wisdom is going to be counter to the culture of the things of God. And so it's almost like you're discussing apples and oranges. You, you can't really mix those two because the wisdom of God is not the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of the world is not the wisdom of God. Sometimes they're, they're even counterintuitive. But he's always going to come, every time you see him show up, he's going to come from something that's outside of the spectrum of God, where the other two are going to come from inside of the spectrum of God, but they're not going to be coming from the devotion to the word and the instruction and the commitment of God. Instead, they're going to be coming from outside. Here's the reason you need to know that, right? Because sometimes, again, we, we get a little disillusioned and we think once we serve God, once we start leaning in, then everything is going to be wonderful. Life is going to get easy. The blessings of God are going to roll in so thick that the sun's always shining, the grass is tall, the birds are singing. And we don't stop to understand the Bible's really, really clear 
that the moment you take a step towards the kingdom of God, the enemy's going to attack you. And here's something that will shock some of you. Most of the time, you'll get challenged from Christians twice as much as you will from non-Christians. Christians are going to be the hardest ones because they have a little bit of flavor that, that, you know, kind of they're inside the family. And so, you, you know, you might even look up and respect them, but they come and they've got this mixed bag of not just what the principles of the word of God say, but it also has a lot of salt and seasoning of their own priorities and their own passions and, and some of their own, you know, their own parameters that they've put on it. And they're going to be the ones that are going to challenge you the most. In fact, you'll see all through the word of God, oftentimes you're going to get challenged from them twice as much as you will from anybody who's on the outside. And this is all part of the enemy's strategy. You have to understand we're not saying, the Bible doesn't say that people are the enemy. They're not. In fact, Paul's really clear. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. It's not people. But you have to understand that, that the enemy works through people, sometimes people that don't have the knowledge of God, some people that don't have the resolve to live by the principles of God. It's a little bit of that, but then a whole lot of this because that's what makes the life that I think is going to be best for me. And those kind of people are dangerous uh, to the point that there's some places in the New Testament that Paul says, yeah, you don't want to spend a lot of time associating with those people. We'll read some of these scriptures. And so as we move on and we, we, we read this, you have to begin to realize that the Bible says that, uh, that this is always going to be the case and we'll see it all the way through uh, the story of, of uh, of Nehemiah. In fact, let me just read a couple of scriptures. I don't have time to turn to Mark chapter 4, but Mark chapter 4 is really important, and if you want to read that, we get down into, I don't know, verse, verse number uh, 13, 14, and Jesus makes a statement, and Jesus says, okay, listen, if, if you've heard anything I've said today, listen to this. He says it like this, he who has ears to hear, listen. And then he makes this statement. He said, I'm about to tell you this story, and if you don't understand this parable, you won't really understand any of the parables. This one's key. This one's like the one that gives you the foundation so you can create a grid to understand everything else. And then the next thing he says, I'm paraphrasing like this way, he says, the kingdom of God works like a farm. Did you know that's not what most Christians believe? Most Christians believe that the kingdom of God works like a landscaping company. And you never know why and you never know when, but sometimes God just smiles on people and it's like overnight, their whole front yard is brand new. Man, thick sod and fully grown bushes and a sprinkler irrigation system, you know, that it's automated. They don't have to think about it. They just live in this beautiful, and Jesus said that that's not true. The kingdom of God works like a farm. And he goes on and he says, and the farmer goes out and he begins to plant seeds and those seeds are going to be what grows up and produces a fruitful life. And then he talks about, you know, different levels of receptivity for the seed. He said some people are just unreceptive. And they'll sit there and you're talking the word of God and the seed of God's word's going. They're saying, oh, how much longer is he going to talk? And the enemy, quick, they don't even make it to their car. They, don't, they didn't hear one word. And they had an opportunity to have their life transformed. But they weren't paying attention. Uh, th there's another group of people that will say, yeah, boy, I can, I can see that. And they'll sense 
the, 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 the word of God kind of, kind of landing in their heart and opening their eyes, but these are uncommitted people, and as soon as it gets tested, as soon as it becomes inconvenienced, the Bible says they'll walk away and say, yeah, I just don't think that, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think I can really line up to that, and they'll just go on their way. Quick opportunity, but they didn't let it root. Then there's a bigger group of people, and it says they do receive the word, but I'm, I'm going to call them this way. They're underdeveloped. They haven't really leaned in quite enough. It's not that they're not doing the right thing, but they don't do the right thing long enough to let the change and the transformation happen so the real blessing and fruit can come. And the Bible says that these underdeveloped people, just as they get going and God begins to bless, then the worries of this life, the deceitfulness or the empty promises of riches, and the desire, the passion for other things. They're finally out of the prison. They can, they can sense the freedom of the Lord. God's blessing begins to come. And when God's blessing begins to come, boy, they, they can see, you know, that if, if we can do this, then we can do that. And we can do this. And pretty soon they're way over in left field, no longer in the center of God. And the Bible literally says it chokes the word of God. It means the word of God's working doing exactly what it said, but they didn't keep this parameter and it's choking the word of God and they went chasing something else rather than stay with what God said. But then in verse 20, it says, but then there are those who accept the word of God and then stay grounded. And those people, man, the roots of God's word pushes all the way down, gets all through their life. And not only do they produce fruit, but they produce, produce lasting fruit that goes over and over and is passed down to generations. People can come and lean in for their wisdom. People can come and sit under the shade and get relief from the heat just because of their presence, because their life has been blessed by the Lord. This is what Psalm chapter one said. Blesses the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scornful, because his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates. He drinks that in day and night all of his life. He's grounded in the word of God. And because of that, he's like a tree whose leaf always is green, who produces fruit and fruit and rich green fruit because he's pulling from these underground, these eternal springs that the world often can't, 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 uh, can't offer. You see it in John chapter 10, 10. Jesus says the same thing. He says, there's a thief, but he doesn't come but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and he could have stopped right there and would have been like, praise the Lord. He said, and that you might have it more abundantly. In other words, you might have life that begins to pulsate, begins to grow, and for the rest of your life will continue to flourish. And you'll, you'll just get more and more rooted in the things of God, more and more blessed, more and more confident. You're not worried about what the world's doing, not that you're not aware, but you're not worried because you're rooted in the promise of God. First Peter chapter five, verse eight and nine says, we should be sober, be vigilant, because you have an adversary who walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But listen to what he says, resist him, not just in the faith, steadfast. Steadfast in the faith. Don't waver. Stay rooted in the faith. Knowing that, listen to this, the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood all over the, wor the world. It's, it's the same. Everybody's going through it. I know that part of the temptation is to look and say, well, they never have any pro Everybody has problems. Everybody's being attacked by the same enemy. It's all, all the same. 
And yet we have to understand that, that if we stay grounded, God will bring us through. Listen to 1 Corinthians 16, 9. This is Paul talking. He says, a great and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And if you go to Acts chapter 19, you can see what the adversaries were. He's facing this great temple of Diana that was all about immorality and all the businesses that were profiting, the government that was profiting because they, they were renowned and people would travel everywhere to be part of that and the exchange and the commerce and the marketplace. And Paul went in there and confronted it and it began to shut down and literally caused a riot. I mean, this was a dangerous situation, right? The whole city's in an uproar. But listen to me, that wasn't Paul's biggest problem. That was the most explosive one. But he goes on and he talks about the biggest problem that he wrestled for three years was the religious leaders in the synagogue. And he would preach and teach and reason with them and many of them would absolutely not concede because religious people are way harder, way, way harder than secular people. We, we look at uh, Matthew chapter 16 and we find out it was in Jesus' own staff. Jesus is about to go to, to the, the crucifixion and, and go through the resurrection to pay for redemption. He shares that with his disciples. And Matthew 16, verse 22 says, then Peter took him, Jesus, took him to the side and began to rebuke him. He said, far be it from you, Lord, that this shall happen to you. But listen, but Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And listen, this is why. You're an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. And that's religious people. Religi I'm not saying they don't believe Jesus is the Savior. I'm not saying they're not going to heaven. I'm saying they're more mindful of what's happening in the world and what's happening in the natural and how it's going to affect them and how this thing can balance. And, and they're more mindful of those things than they are sensitive to what the Holy Spirit's saying. And I know some people say, see, that's what I'm saying, Pastor. We just need a revival. We just need people to wake up. And yes, we do. I'm not arguing with that. But in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, they, they've been having a revival for eight straight chapters. And the Bible says, and at that time, great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of, Jude of, of Judah and Samaria, except for the apostles. Guess who were the primary instigators of that persecution? Religious leaders. The religious leaders. I'm telling you, this is really important that we recognize that this is reality. This is going to happen. So when you read Ezra chapter 4, uh, you find out, again, Ezra and Nehemiah are together. You find out that the enemy, the moment they began to build, the enemy just tried everything. He planted spies in there that would mess up their construction efforts. They vandalized the, the construction. They hired lawyers to try to stop their, their progress. They incited protests and riots against them. They sent letters to the king from high officials that were signed by multiple leaders, you know, and said, you don't understand. These people are dangerous. We don't want them to get strong and established again and, and everything. And listen, it's all over the Bible, but here's what you're going to find out. We are all commissioned to take a step in and live our lives dedicated to the Lord. But the moment we do, the enemy's going to come. The moment we do, he's going to come in to destroy, to delay, to dilute, to try to defeat our efforts, and we see this. And so here's what I'm going to do for the next few minutes. We're going to drill in a little bit deeper, and let me show you th at least three different ways of how the enemy will come in, and some of you will recognize what he's tried to do in your life and what he might be trying to do now. Here's number one. The enemy will belittle and mock the work. So the moment you step in, he's going to try to convince you... What is that? It's going to take a lot of time. That's not even going to help anything. Some of you have already experienced in your devotion. 
right? How's me spending a little bit of time with my Bible and writing a few things down? How's that going to fix all the problems in my life? And yet Mark chapter four says, farm, farm, (laughs) you're digging weeds out. You're putting seeds in there. I'm telling you that this is your way to a fruitful, blessed life that God promised farm, but he'll talk you out of it because you'll think how in the world we've already read Nehemiah chapter two, verse 19, where these three men came and they were mocking and laughing, but let's look at Nehemiah chapter four. It says, but it so happened when Soundbell had heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he was furious and he was very indignant, but look how he responded. He mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Listen to him, just just downplaying, belittling them. It's like, what are these guys? They're a bunch of weaklings. What what are they going to do? He said, will they fortify themselves? You think they're going to make themselves strong? Will they offer sacrifices? In other words, he's saying, what, is it going to be some religious thing? Like God's going to hear them? He says, will they complete this in a day? What, are they going to get a miracle from the Lord? The Lord's going to do like what he did back in Egypt. Is that really what they think is going to happen? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that were burned? And he probably didn't know it, but he was given a little type and a shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the stone that the builders rejected, the throwaway, the one on on the refuge pile. And he was the one that spent three days in in hell. And the Bible, and here he's saying, what are they going to use those things? And, and, And the answer is that's exactly what they're going to do. It goes on, it says, now Tobiah the Ammonite, remember his assistant, his little sidekick said, yeah, and whatever they build, he said, even a fox goes up on it, he'll break it down their stone wall, like, what, what, how, how insignificant, how weak, they, they don't have the tools and the muscle and the skill and the architect that we do, they're not going to be able to put anything in, and listen to me, that's not the first, you see it all the way through the Bible, Eve came, was in the Garden of Eden, the, 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 the crowning jewel creation, Adam and Eve of God, and a snake comes up to them and said, you're not going to die. In fact, let me tell you what's going to happen. God's just trying to keep you dumb. If you'll taste this fruit, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be smarter than ever. But he's just downplaying and little, right? Moses, God says, I want you to, to, uh, to set my people free. And Moses is like, no, Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. Besides, I don't even talk good. <laughs> And God came, came and worked. You got 10 spies, 10 out of 12, who jumped into the land that was promised of God. And all 12 of them came back and said, man, it's exactly what God said. But 10 of them said, you know what we noticed? Those, those guys are huge. And look at us. We're so tiny. We don't have the weaponry. We can't do this. And the enemy was just talking to himself that Gideon, who, who led a great victory, but he told the Lord when the Lord first said, this is what I want you to do. He said, you don't understand. I'm like nobody. In fact, I'm the nobody of a group of nobodies who's in the whole tribe of nobody. I'm the least of the least of the least. He said, how can you possibly, I got nothing to bring to the table. And see, these are all the way the enemy. In fact, it was such an effective strategy that the devil tried to use it on Jesus. He was baptized in the Jordan River and this voice comes out of heaven and said, that is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And as soon as he gets out in the wilderness, the devil says, okay, okay, come on, let's get real. If you are the son of God, well, of course he is. But see, the enemy does the same exact thing to us. In the book of Galatians, Paul writes, and he, and he starts out in, in chapter three, and he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? That bewitched is such a strong word. It literally means who puts you under an evil spell that you're just not thinking straight 
How in the world can you look at the truth of God's word and you're just not thinking straight anymore? It's, it's like you've been put under an evil spell and you can't see your way through it. He says, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? You know the truth. You know this is real. You know that Christ was crucified. He's redeemed you. You know that you're part of this thing, but who's got you under a spell that you're just not thinking right? One chapter later, he's still in the the same theme. And he says, have I become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? He said, these guys are zealously courting you, but for no good. Yeah, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them, that you may become come and, and kind of get into their, he says, but it's a good to be zealous for, for things that, uh, for in a good thing always. And not only when I'm present, don't, don't make me have to be here and hold you accountable. He said, you, you need to be locking into this thing. You need to not get talked out of it so much. First Corinthians chapter 15 says this, do not be deceived that evil company uh, corrupts good habits, but let's go on. He says, awake to righteousness and do not sin. And listen, Paul could be pretty pointed. He said, for some do, do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Other times Paul said things like, by this time, you should be teaching and mentoring other people. And yet you've allowed the enemy to talk you out of this, to downplay it. It's not that big of a deal. You know, after all, you need your rest. And after all, you've got a lot of things on your plate and you've allowed him to talk you out of this. And because of that, you're not in the center where God wants you to be. And he says, it's kind of an embarrassing to even bring it up because you should know better by now. And all these things are very important. Again, it, people are not the devil, and, the, and the, the word's not trying to bring condemnation to us. It's trying to wake us up so we can get our life rooted in the word of God and rooted in the house of God so that we're in that place of safety, that place where we can grow and, and we can see people saved and disciples being made and we can be part of the kingdom because Jesus said in Matthew six thirty three, when you seek first the kingdom, everything else begins to blossom. But we keep getting talked out of it and we keep putting everything else in front. Thinking, well, if we can just get this straight, then we'll have more time. Nope. Never work. Some of you have been trying it for decades. Never work. So number one, he'll belittle uh, everything. Now, here's number two. The enemy will attack and cause confusion. And we see this in the book of Nehemiah chapter four. It says, now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, uh, the Arab and the Ammonites and the Ashadites, so they're growing now in their constituency, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored. So they just pushed past the belittling. They went ahead and got to work and they're building it up and the gaps were beginning to close that they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and to attack Jerusalem and create confusion. I love the next verse. It says, nevertheless... We made our prayer to God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. We're not saying the devil's behind every single door, but we're saying that spiritual attacks are real, and they become much more targeted and much more intentional the moment you begin to step out. And some people would say, well, then why would I ever step out? I don't want to be a target, because greater is he that's in you and he that's, than he that's in the world. 
Because you're more than conquerors in Christ. Because John 16, says, Jesus said, I've overcome the world. You don't have to be afraid. You should be of good cheer, high in confidence, high in courage. And you should be stepping out and doing what the Bible says. Because this is what we've been called and empowered and commissioned to do. We've already read Acts chapter 8 where it says great persecution. We've read 1 Corinthians 16, 9 where it talked about the adversaries of the effective door. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 4. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. We do this all the time, right? What is happening? Why is this happening to me? Some of us even pray, God, why are you letting this happen to me? And Peter's telling them, don't, don't be surprised. Don't act like this is weird, this is strange. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. I know you're in holiday mode, you're relaxed, but let me just ask a question. Please respond. How many of you raise your hand and say, I want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? All right, most of you, maybe all of you, I didn't have time to thoroughly survey, okay? Praise the Lord for that, but listen to the rest of the sentence. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Can't avoid it, it's gonna happen. Gonna happen, the enemy's gonna come, people are gonna come, some of them well-meaning Christians. Are you sure you're not getting overcommitted? Because you know, after all, you need to have a balanced life. After all, you need to make sure that you got, you're taking care of yourself and you're taking care, I, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. It's going to happen every time, happen all the way through the Bible. But let me just assure you, the problem is not persecution. Because Jesus says over and over, I've overcome that part. I've empowered you. Listen to me. You will focus. The word of God will build you up. The Holy Spirit will come. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will inflate you with his power, his anointing, his confidence, his wisdom. And you'll walk right through the middle of this stuff. The problem is we have this idea that it's not supposed to look like that. And we have this idea that it should just be, you know, a comfortable little contribution. We call it volunteerism. And, and I'm not going to say we're going to stop calling it that because that, that's just the term that everybody understands. But let me ask you a question. Which one of your body parts volunteers to show up when it's convenient? If you have a body part that works sometime and not the other time, depending on how significant that body part is, you're in a doctor's office. And what if the doctor said, yeah, we, we, did, you know, we did the scans and we did the x-ray, we took the blood work, and, and here's what we understand. You've just got some of those body parts. They're kind of volunteers. And whenever it's convenient, whenever they're feeling at the top of their game, whenever they're feeling charitable, then, then they'll show up. That, that's not acceptable, right? That, I mean, that's just laughable, and yet, that's exactly what, what the Bible's telling us as Christians. The enemy will try to talk us into this. He'll try to belittle it and downplay it. He'll try to, to attack it and bring confusion so that we'll begin to step to the side and put it in a nice little box. Well, if we get a chance, when we get a chance, then yeah, we'll be happy to do that on this one little occasion. Nehemiah chapter four says this. He says, then as I looked over to the situation, I called the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. 
Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers and sisters, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Can I just tell you that your decision to engage, to not just ask the Holy Spirit to give you a burden, but to make a move and then to outlast the the challenges and the persecution, the spiritual attacks, these decisions are the bedrock of the legacy that you're leaving, listen, in your relationship, but for your children's children, and listen, and in your finances. And I've been around long enough to see the difference. I've just been around the earth to, to, to walk with people and watch them make these little decisions and begin to compromise and drift. And boy, did they go really far in one area of their life, only in about a decade or two, to watch the rest begin to crumble. I, I'm not condemning. I'm not trying to manipulate anybody. I'm trying to love the word of God and love you enough to say, let's just read what the Bible says because God wants to prepare us. He wants to, to fortify us so our families can continue to move forward. He goes on, he says, when our enemies heard that we knew of their plan and that God had frustrated them, other translations say that God had ruined their strategy, that God had opened their eyes to see. I know what they're trying to do. He says, then we all returned to work to our work on the wall But from that point on, only half of the men worked while the other half stood guard with spears and shields and bows and coats of mail. Translation in the New Testament, the armor of God. That we begin to recognize, okay, so it's not just managing our time and managing our energy. We recognize this is a spiritual battle and we're going to have to engage spiritually as well. We're going to have to up the game of prayer. We're going to have to be more intentional to be quoting the word of God. But rather than giving up, they leaned in, they trusted God, they stood their ground. And this is what God's saying, which you do the same. By the way, in case you haven't caught it, we know God's moving in our church. I I really don't believe that this time next year, should the Lord, Terry, I don't think we'll be the same church. And I mean that in a very good way. But God's moving in our church, and that's why you're hearing us talk about these opportunities for corporate prayer. We're trying to create them so that anybody can do them. Anybody can step in, but we need you to get a burden, and we need you to make a move, and we need you to step in. How's 15 minutes of prayer going to make a difference? It'll make a huge difference. Huge difference. 15 minutes a week, 30 minutes a week. It'll make a huge difference in, 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 our, in our church and in our, in, our, uh, in, 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 our, uh, in our body, our ability to be effectiveness. That's why we're talking about tithe. We're not trying to get money. God's always supplied for us and he always will. But Paul said in that, that same passage of 1 Corinthians, he says, I'm saying this to your benefit. I'm not trying to get your money. I want you to grow and mature so that God can fortify you and bless you. And yes, you'll end up giving more to the church, but not just to the church. And so he's preaching this stuff, and this is why we're talking about this. Let me give you number three, and we'll bring it to a close. Number three, the enemy will distract and draw you away. Nehemiah chapter six. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall. So in other words, most of the hard work was done. They tried everything in their world to stop them, derail them. They didn't. They just kept building, and and it it worked. He said, and that there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I hadn't hung the doors of the gate, that Sanballat and Geshem, remember the two spiritual, the two, we'll call them casual Christians. He says uh, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, hey, let's meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. Oh, now you want to have a conversation. Now you want to sit down and say, hey, why can't we just all get along? We just need to talk. But notice this. He said, but they thought to do me harm. We don't know how he knew that. 
by the Spirit, that sense of the Holy Spirit. We don't know how he knew that, but here's what we do know. He said, so I sent messengers to, say, to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Why should the work cease while I leave and go down to you? In other words, he's saying, listen to me. If you guys want to come here and jump in, we'll talk about that. But I'm not going to stop what I'm doing to come over to get involved in what you want to talk about. No, no, this is what God's called me to do. And I'm going to stay focused on, on what the Lord's called to do. And this is really, really important. Read you two more scriptures, passages, and we're done. And I'm going to let them talk. This is Proverbs chapter 14. The first one you'll recognize because many Christians can quote it by heart and we quote it all the time. But I'm going to keep reading a little bit as Solomon just stacks wisdom after wisdom after wisdom all in the same collection. He says, there's a way that seems right to a man. Seems right. Makes sense. This is rational. But the end is the way of death. Verse 13. Even in laughter, the heart may sorrow. And the end of mirth, uh, other translations quote that joy may be grief. In other words, it, it'll be fun for a while, right? It'll be exciting for a while. You make these decisions that are not rooted in what God's saying. And for a while, it looks like things are flowing. This is awesome. And then all of a sudden, it begins to turn. And you're realizing, what were we thinking? This was not the decision we should have made. Verse 14, the backslider in heart, that's important, not necessarily in their outward behavior. They're still sitting in church. But the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. Next verse, verse 15, the simple believes every word but the prudent considers well his steps. In other words, all these voices, all these outside opinions, that little voice on the inside, the simple just buys all of that, just, just listens to all of it. And their emotions are just thrown all over the place and they end up making bad decisions. But the Bible says, but the prudent considers well, comparing it to the word of God, coming back to the Holy Spirit. Lord, this is what you said to me. Are we still on that page? Or you want me to move? Are you trying to tell me something here? It considers it well. Here's number 14. A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. Remember I told you, you're going to meet Christians and they're going to talk down to you. And if you don't understand, if you keep coming back to the word of God, some of them are going to get angry. Some are going to get frustrated with you. But it's not because they're right it's because they're coming against an immovable truth of God's word and their rationale doesn't hold up and they begin to get emotionally agitated. Let me read you the last passage and I'm finished. Mark chapter eight, verse 34, another familiar one to you. When he had called the people to himself, that's Jesus, with his disciples also. So he's talking to the, to the, to the 12, right? Who would become apostles or at least 11 of them would. He said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me for or because whoever desires to save his life that's his personal preferences his comfort zones what he likes whoever desires to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it now verse 36 ends with two powerful questions the 36 and 37 for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul and that word soul in the Greek is the word suke. It's talking about the essence of who you are. It's talking about who God's created you to be. The person that you've always wanted to be and sometimes never knew that's what you wanted to be because so many other things crowded, but this is how, how God created you. He said, what would it profit if you gained everything else 
But in doing so, you forfeited the real person that God created you to be. And then comes with the next question before you even get to formulate an answer. He said, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, once you forfeited your soul and you realize you're on the wrong, wrong track, how many people would say, I'd give everything I own if I could go back? I'd do, if I could do it all over again, I would do everything different. I don't care about all this stuff. I would do everything different. He said, what would you give in exchange to somehow be able to buy your life back? And here's the question that's supposed to be provoked in us, not to lean backwards and feel regret or condemnation. The question that's supposed to be provoked by Jesus is, what is it that you're giving now? Or what is it you're not willing to give up now that will cause you to forfeit the plan and, and, the, and the part that God has for you to play in building his kingdom? Because there is gonna come a time, whether it's here on earth, where suddenly you wake up and you're like, what was I thinking? Or it may be when we stand in front of Jesus and he said, hey, let's talk about the life and all of the resource and all of the time and the, and the giftings that I gave you. What'd you do with that? In that moment, you're gonna be like, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? See, see, we think if we dedicate our life to God, somehow we miss out on all the other stuff. But I'll just remind you about what Jesus said. I've quoted it once. Jesus said, that's not true. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you'll find out just how wonderful and how fulfilling and how loving and kind and generous God is because all these things will come rolling into your life. It's important that we have to get a burden. We have to say, Lord, talk to me about my place in your kingdom. We have to be able to make a move and, and make an intentional step forward. But then we have to say, and we're going to root ourselves in the house of God. We're going to begin to do what God's called us to do, come hell or high water. And we're going to prove by our life that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And when you do that, God steps up and said, I got you. I got you. And he'll do exactly what he promised. I hope you've been blessed by God's word this morning. Stand up on your feet and let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all of the things that you promised us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who is the teacher. Anything that I said, Lord, that, was, that I misspoke or I didn't say it the way you want me to, Holy Spirit, just push all that out of the way. And you speak to our hearts now that are opened and you put in the word of God that you want to put in and bring us all to the next step that you have for us. We thank you for this church. We thank you for abundant resources. We thank you for people that are bringing their gifting and that we will be everything that you've called us to be. And because of that, thousands of lives will come to Christ, will be healed, and will be delivered, and will be set free in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.